Hawkins Policy Radio, offering a unique perspective on everything geopolitics, culture creation, the reality of the world we live in. Coming to you live from New York City, your host, Pierce Redmond. Okay, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Porkins Policy Radio. As always, I am your host, Pierce Redman, and you can find this show here at American Freedom Radio, AmericanFreedomRadio.com, as well as on my website, which is PorkinsPolicyReview.com. And, of course, you can find this show on a host of other networks on Friday nights. Uh, you can also find the show on uh, Saturday nights on KYAH out in Utah, AM 540, and, of course, on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and YouTube. Well, um, we, uh, we, it is Boxing Day, uh, and we have a special, uh, sort of Boxing Day, uh, holiday show for everybody. Uh, and it's also gonna be kind of like an end of the year special where we talk about, uh, you know, all the sort of interesting stories and craziness that's been happening. Uh, so it's gonna be a, a little bit more laid back, slightly fun. I hope, uh, that people are, uh, have had a good Christmas and are enjoying, uh, a, a day off and, uh, maybe a little, little hungover, uh, you know, a little uh, uh, worn out from the holidays and family, but this will be a fun episode to relax to. Uh, very quickly, I just wanted to mention that uh, by the time you're listening to this, um, uh, well, actually, I probably won't have recorded it, but uh, I'll have a uh, Patreon episode up very soon with Chuck Ocelli. We're going to be talking about uh, South Park Season 21, uh, and you should, um, by the time you're listening <laughs> to this also, uh, be able to download uh, the latest uh, Porkins Great Game, uh, the return of Porkins Great Game with me and Christoph Gehrman. So lots of stuff to look out for. And I just also wanted to uh, quickly thank Jess for a recent uh, donation on Patreon for, for signing up. And of course, you can support my work by going to patreon.com slash Pierce Redmond. But enough of me rambling. We are joined by our very good friend, frequent guest on the show, friend of the show, Tom Secker of, uh, of course, of spyculture.com. Uh, Tom, how are you? I'm very good, Pierce. Thanks for having me. And I'm looking forward to doing this. There should be a bit of a difference, I guess, to some of the usual shows that we do. We're not taking this one very seriously. No. So, <laughs> well, some of, I mean, some of it will be serious. Some of it won't. So yeah, this should be fun. Yeah, absolutely. And we wanted to, to do something, uh, like you said, a little bit fun, a little bit different. Uh, and I, I kind of actually like, uh, I've done a few sort of like end of the year episodes, uh, in the past and they're, they're kind of fun. Uh, and they're also very easy to record as well. So, uh, it's good. But we, Tom, we wanted to, um, uh, I guess sort of talk about, we, we broke this up into different sections, but we wanted to talk about like our favorite news story, the most overblown news story, uh, favorite film and, and stuff like that. So, uh, why don't we kind of get right into it? And, uh, I'll, I'll throw it to you, uh, first, but, um, what was your favorite news story, uh, of the year? There have been many, of course. Uh, some some odd ones and stuff like that. But what did you pick for your favorite news story? Well, my favorite, uh, which isn't a very important story. Well, no, it's not a very important story. was one from a few months back, a couple of months back. It was this uh, dog that got fired by the CIA. I don't know if you saw this one. I kind of saw it, but I didn't actually read it. But I saw it like on the CIA's website. <laughs> but So why don't you explain a little bit about this uh, this poor dog? 
Okay, so every year the CIA runs a class, uh, like a training school for dogs, uh, bomb sniffer dogs, effectively. These are, you know, they're going to have them as security at Langley and whatever else it is that the CIA use bomb sniffer dogs for. And yeah, so they, you know, they have kennels, they have trainers, all the sorts of things that you would imagine. Um, and this is, I guess, kind of the sweet side of the CIA. It's one of those few things that they do that you kind of think that sounds like you know, that's quite a fun job if, you know, in as much as if you had to work for the CIA, you'd quite like the, you know, dog patrol. Um, it's probably quite a nice way to make a living, I guess. But sadly, every year when they have this graduating class of young dogs, some of them don't really want to be bomb sniffer dogs. And so partway through the training, this dog evidently didn't want to be a bomb dog anymore, didn't want to be spending the rest of its life being told what to do by some CIA officer. It wasn't basically wasn't following instructions. Mm. Uh, she wanted to play. She didn't want to sniff for explosives was kind of the headline of the story. <laughs> and so uh, the dog was not fired as such, but um, removed from the training program and adopted by one of the instructors who, because this is what they do with the dogs that kind of don't make it, is they end up being adopted by one on another employee of the CIA and they get to just go and be a normal dog, I guess. And I just thought... It's a very sweet story, and it's also um, it's one I can understand. I can I can see where the dog was coming from. You know what I mean? It's sort of <laughs> who would want to spend the rest of their life? I mean, you know what dogs are like. They want to run around, sort yeah. of jumping in the snow and chasing sticks and barking a postman, and that's what dogs want to do. That's naturally their <laughs> way of being, um, their reason for being, if you like. And so this one, you know, it just touched my heart a little bit, and I felt good on you. I, I was I was quite proud of that dog. I sort of, you know, I approved of that, that, that decision, that course of action. I approved of that outlook on life. And uh, yeah, I think that was probably my my favorite news story of the year usually involves animals in some way. I mean, my favorite one from last year was that dog that ran the half marathon and finished seventh and got a medal and everything. And really? Yeah, they basically it, a dog escaped from its garden okay. and there was some kind of half marathon being run in the town and it just kind of got onto the race course and ran half of the race or whatever <laughs> and, you know, and ended up finishing quite high up, which isn't that surprising when, you know, dogs are fast. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, this this is where I'm usually coming from with favorite news stories of the year. And I'm glad that this year it involved not just a dog, but also the CIA. Yeah. But what, what what were you thinking of? or What, what do you make of that? Well, I guess, um, I, I don't know, in a very cynical way, you know, I, I, uh, when I saw that, I was like, oh, of course, this is like, you know, positive PR for the CIA. Um, you know, oh, look, you know, the dog didn't want to do it, so we, we let him go, and, and now he has a wonderful home. But I guess it is, it is kind of sweet, and, um, I guess it's good to know that even a dog understands that, uh, working, uh, for a clandestine intelligence agency is probably not the best line of work. Um, and I guess mm -hmm. it just kind of made me wonder, you know, like what the, I don't know, the other jobs that dogs have at the CIA. Again, if I was going to get kind of dark, I would assume it's, they're probably pretty scary. Uh, sort of, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm, you mean like the dogs in Zero Dark Thirty? Yeah, yeah, or like Abu Ghraib or something like that. I know, I know yeah. we said this would be a more upbeat episode and we've already strayed into torture and stuff, but yeah, that's for yourself. <laughs> You're the one who's taken us in that direction. I was trying to be upbeat and fun, but. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I, I guess, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I, I like that story too. It's like a nice, um, uh, like you said, animal stories are always great. Um, so yeah, I, do, do we have a name for the dog? I can't remember off the top of my head, no. It's all on the CIA's website. I mean, mm. they, 
they did announce it, um, and you have to think that's partly a PR move on their part, I yeah. guess. But well, at the same time, it's it's quite a nice little story. As far as stuff, I mean, I follow the CIA's news feed quite closely. I read everything on there, and it's certainly this is this was a better story than that time when they accidentally left some explosives on a school bus. Yes. I don't know if you remember yeah, yeah, yeah. you remember that one. That was really quite worrying, to How be honest. How did they even do that? Uh, they were using the school bus as, uh, as during one of their training exercises when they were, you know, using bomb sniffer dogs and trying to find, mm. you know, tests, see if they can find the explosives on the bus, that kind of thing. And somehow, I don't know how, they left a block of plastic explosive on the engine. And it wasn't found until several days later when it had, you know, been driving kids to school and back. Really? A few more days. I mean, chances are the explosive was never going to go off. Plastic explosive isn't that easy to set yeah. off. But still, it's like, you know, how does that happen? That would have been a PR disaster if it had gone off. Well, if it had gone off, would they have even admitted it? Yeah, or Would true. they have blamed, right. blamed it on some random jihadi or whatever? Right, right, yes. <laughs> um, definitely. <laughs> well, so any, one for people to follow, the CIA's newsfeed, in any case. I think that's... Um, yeah, they always, have, they always e- have fascinating stories. Mm, certainly. But what was your favorite of the year? Go on. Well, what did I, you so have? I, I think like a lot of these, I, I kind of cheated and picked two. Um, and, and both <laughs> of them are, uh, are are sort of intelligence related. Uh, I guess not, not too surprising. But uh, my, I guess my, my top one, and I think we had chatted about this in some emails earlier, uh, has got to be the uh, sonic weapons in Cuba. Uh, and this is a story that we covered, uh, I don't know, I think a few months back when it when it was first sort of, when it had gotten kind of picked up by the mainstream media. But this is, of course, um, about these uh, uh, diplomats in Cuba, a.k.a. CIA agents, uh, American and Canadian intelligence. And uh, they, I don't know, was this was like over the course of several months, they started suffering all sorts of like weird hearing loss symptoms and uh, headaches, blackouts, things like that. And this was supposedly linked to some sort of a sonic weapon that was being targeted at these people, either in the embassy or perhaps at their homes in Havana. And this uh, eventually led to, uh, like, a- almost all of the diplomats being sent home. Uh, and it became a, a, you know, a pretty, or maybe not big, but a, a pretty major scandal in the intelligence world. Uh, and, of course, we hypothesized that this might actually be the Russians that were uh, doing this. Uh, in order to, to, I guess, disrupt Cuban-American relations. But yeah, I don't know. I just love this story. I love that it, it's it's so wacky. Um, I was just looking it up uh, the other night to see if there were any developments. And uh, of course, uh, Snopes um, you know, said that this was completely <laughs> false, that it, it didn't really happen, uh, that there's no real proof that uh, you can, there are sonic weapons that do this, which is, I mean, total BS. Um, there, there definitely are sonic weapons and uh, even in like the CNN article uh, that, that covered it, they, they talk about, yes, this this technology does in fact exist. Uh, so, yeah, I just I, I don't know. I just like love that story. I love that it's like sort of spy versus spy. Uh, I don't feel too bad about a bunch of CIA agents um, being attacked with a sonic weapon um, that doesn't really ruffle my feathers too much. Um, no, my, my only concern is if that, you know, like some random people kind of got caught in the crossfire, if you're with me. I mean, it's one mm-hmm. thing to go targeting CIA agents. It's another thing to go poking sonic weapons around in Havana. I mean, you don't know what you're going to do. So whoever's behind it, I think maybe being a bit 
kind of stupid, but I guess, I mean, we haven't heard any reports of, like, just random Havanan citizens, you no. know, suffering uh, and, and from this. And the story has so. more or less died down completely. Um, mm. which is, which Seriously, is Snope, Snope said that this didn't happen. Yeah, I, I mean, don't, don't quote me on the specifics, but when I looked it up, it said it was false. Um, and hmm. they, I mean, I can't really be bothered to read a whole Snopes article, to be honest. <laughs> um, so, you know, I didn't, uh, uh check it out, uh, too closely, but yeah, they, they had a whole bunch of reasons and, and whatnot for why this, this couldn't have happened. And, uh, you know, uh, which I don't just made me kind of hate Snopes even more because this definitely did happen. Um, or, or at the very least, it's the most, one of the most elaborate media hoaxes concocted by the u.s government um in in cuba in some time i would i would assume but uh yeah i don't know i love that story um i think it's just uh it's just like a wonder it it also just sort of like i don't know the excitement of like the cold war i know that sounds kind of flippant i guess but (laughs) no no i know what you mean it's kind of harkens back to the 60s and 70s kind of the good old days yeah exactly exactly you know when spies were spies and (laughs) you know they they uh you know, fought each other with with crazy sonic weapons and things like that. Um, well, and and if they have concocted that story, which admittedly is a possibility, I mean they're the only source for the information, right? It's not like the Cubans have confirmed this in any way or anything. It's this is a story that's come from the U.S. embassy. It's come from mm-hmm. the State Department. So it's possible they've made it up, but it's a weird thing to make up if they have done. Yeah, I mean, I, I if don't you were going to, they would gain from that. If you're going to fabricate a story about, you know, your spies in Cuba or just your embassy in Cuba being under threat, you'd come up with something a bit more um, normal, I guess. Yeah, like they killed somebody, you know, or, or, you know, or at least someone disappeared or yeah, whatever. I mean, that, all sorts, you know, there's a lot more kind of mainstream kind of stories you could have invented here. So I think the weirdness actually suggests it's probably true on balance, to my mind anyway. No, totally. That that was my initial thing was like, this is too bizarre to be fake. Like, it, it has to be real. You know, there really is some sort of, I don't know, sound gun that the FSB or, or some maybe Cuban. I, th- I still think it was probably the Russians um, that they, they have that uh, can cause hearing loss. And uh, in some of them, they, they were reporting like minor brain damage. It's just kind of scary um, that that technology is out there. Um, but, uh, I also, as I said, I had another one and this one is, um, as I said, also spy related and is a bit weird. And I, I think you're probably somewhat familiar with this, Tom, because this, like these sonic weapons in Cuba, this also comes from a, a favorite site of ours, intelnews.org. And this is a, an, it, this is ongoing investigation into Luxembourg's former prime minister, Jean-Claude Juncker. Uh, and his role in concealing a spy scandal that involved the uh, Luxembourg's intelligence agency, the SREL, and their wiretaps and secret files on th- uh, 13,000 citizens and residents. And they're also the, the head of the former head of the SREL is the, even uh, uh, alleged to have recorded some sort of, I don't know, secret conversation between him and uh, Juncker that is, uh, I think, about the spy scandal, but also something else that they haven't really revealed to the public. And hmm. um, and this was uh, this eventually led to the prime minister having to resign. It became this uh, a huge scandal in Luxembourg um, and probably only, you know, huge to people like us. 
Um, and, uh, in this investigation that's going on, they also, uh, found out or, or there's some claim that the Grand Duke of Luxembourg is a, has been a longtime trusted MI6 informant as well. And for people that don't know, Jean-Claude Juncker is the current, uh, European Commission president. So he's, there's all these pictures of him and Theresa May, you know, talking about Brexit. Mm-hmm. And while he's negotiating Brexit, he's also being investigated for spying on, uh, I mean, 13,000 is not that much, but in Luxembourg, that's probably a huge amount of people. Um, that's what I was going to say. 13,000 doesn't sound like that many, but in Luxembourg, that's still quite a substantial percentage. And it's like, who were these 13,000 people and why were they spying on them? Well, I mean, what happens in Luxembourg? They don't have political radicals in Luxembourg. It's about the most kind of boring, stable place anywhere on Earth. Well, full disclosure, I have a, a weird fascination with Luxembourg uh, and always have since I was a little kid. Uh, I remember like looking at a map of Europe and seeing this little tiny speck um, on the map. And I just love the name Luxembourg. It sounds sort of like Lummox. Uh, and, uh, of course, for, uh, people that don't know, Luxembourg is a huge cycling country, lots of famous cyclists. Um, so, uh, you know, again, partly why I've, I've always had a fascination with it. But it, it's just this amazing, I, I think, my, my guess is that it, uh, while there aren't political radicals, there are certainly lots of, uh, money laundering activities in Luxembourg. And I assume that's part of what this is about. And, when they were investigating uh, the prime minister, there were also allegations that he uh, he used Luxembourg or some bank in Luxembourg to funnel money through uh, some sort of Spanish intermediary to a Russian uh, intelligence agent or something like that. Uh, and the interesting thing is that it's it's not just citizens; it's also residents of Luxembourg. So that could be foreigners, you know, businessmen living mm, in Luxembourg mm. as well. Um, so I assume that there, this is something to do with money laundering or, or something like that. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess it just it, it struck me as just one of those like bizarre, weird little stories. Um, and, and then it kind of makes you remember that Luxembourg exists and that they. I mean, obviously they have some influence if he's head of the, you know, the EU essential or, well, I don't, what is the European Commission? It's part of that whole structure. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure what you would define the European Commission as, but yeah, sure. It's part of the whole EU government structure. And that, I mean, what else do you do when you're a successful politician in Luxembourg? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I guess that that's the next logical step for you. But I know what you mean. It is this kind of funny little country that most people forget is even there because it is so kind of tiny and never gets in the news and so on. Yeah, you're probably right. It probably relates to money laundering, banking, dirty banking, something along those lines. I don't know exactly what, but yeah, I think you're probably right. It's That's what this is about. And what do you make of the, the Grand Duke being a trusted MI6 informant? Um, do, do you know much about the Grand Duke of Luxembourg, Tom? I do not know much about the Grand Duke of Luxembourg. <laughs> I should, I mean, let me see if I can pull up his name quickly uh, so we can put a name to a face with this guy. I mean, certainly it doesn't surprise me that much. This is, after all, what MI6 do. I mean, who, who in Europe isn't an MI6 informant, you kind of think. But, yes, um, right. Uh, <laughs> It's kind of impressive in a way. Um, they're still at it. You know? Yeah, I know. That, that was my initial thing was like, well, good on them. You know, they still, they still, they still know how to recruit a very high level informant like that. And I mean, 
it's it's quite logical in a sense that that's what he'd be doing. But makes you wonder why. What I mean, what are MI6 up to in Luxembourg? Again, relating to washing dirty money and, you know, funneling it to secret places and certain organizations and other things that we may not quite get into at the moment. But, you know, MI6 are a pretty dirty organization. And there was another story quite, quite recently about uh, this going back to the 1950s and how MI6 were basically functioning essentially off the books. They had off the books accounts. They had a whole kind of chain of command set up that wasn't in any way being monitored by the foreign office who were technically supposed to oversee MI6. Right. They were functioning as, you know, a state within a state. They, it's kind of like, who do they even answer to? And you think if that's what they were like in the 1950s, it's probably even worse now. Because, <laughs> right. I mean, can you really imagine Boris Johnson telling MI6 not to do something and then them going, oh, well, I guess we've got to take that seriously. You know, I, I really guess, guess we don't do it. I can't picture him telling anybody not to do something and, and taking it seriously, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, so let alone a bunch of career MI6 agents who, frankly, are going to be there a lot longer than Boris Johnson is. So, yeah, they are. Uh, Prince Gone. Henry Albert Gabriel Felix Marie Gulliam, the <laughs> <laughs> is the current Grand Duke of Luxembourg. He's the eldest son of of the... Uh, Grand Duke Jean and Princess Josephine Charlotte of Belgium. Uh, so there you go. And, uh, just, you know, uh, uh, browsing his Wikipedia page, um, there's something he was into euthanasia or something like that. Um, I, I okay. might be wrong on that. So, but that, that's a, there's something about that, uh, w with him. Um, and yeah, you know, he just looks like, uh, your classic British inbred royalty. Uh, to be honest, all European aristocrats kind of look alike because... They're all related. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> They're all very, very inbred. <laughs> and that's what you end up looking like after several hundred years of deep inbreeding among European aristocrats. So, yeah, they all they all kind of look like that. Yeah. And they've all got names like that. Yeah. It's, no, I mean, that's yeah, an absurd yeah. name. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, totally. I know. I, I wish we had, like, a big family tree. We could see if they're maybe they're related to the, the Queen of England or something. I mean, I'm sure they are on some level. I'm sure if you go back, uh, you know, a couple of generations, you'll find some kind of cross-link between them. I'm absolutely certain of it, you yeah. know. Well, uh, I guess I guess we're done with uh, the Duke uh, Henri. And um, the, the, any other favorite news stories, though, quickly, Tom? Anything else that uh, is just sort of popping into your head? Uh, only the one that I sent you the other day about apparently The Rock is planning a presidential oh, yes. run in 2024, which to my mind is long, long overdue. Yes. Um, I, I've been saying since since Bush won, at least, yeah. um, that The Rock should run for president. You know, back when he was just a wrestler, before he even became a kind of movie star and all the rest of it, right. I was saying, you know, this this guy, he, he should run for president. People would vote for him. Who doesn't like The Rock? That's the oh, sort of I, stupid I, I thing. I is that everyone vote for him and, and not jokingly either. <laughs> Well, it's, it's worth a punt, isn't it, at yeah. this point in time? It's not like the major parties are coming up with anyone that's remotely inspiring. So, well, yeah, roll no the dice. no way he'd be worse than Trump. No way he could be worse than Clinton. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, why not? I mean, I, I, hope he, I hope he does run for president. And if for no better reason than it'll make fascinating television, I hope he wins. Mm. Um, I've got no idea whether he'd actually make a good president in a sort of political sense, but... How bad can he be? I mean, you've had you've had much worse, sort of less likely presidents in a way. At least the man's kind of charming and seems to have some degree of principle to him. Yeah, 
Um, more so than most celebrities. He actually just seems like a guy who knows who he is, is quite confident in who he is, and mm-hmm. kind of kind of likes performing, likes <laughs> likes messing around on camera and making people laugh. And that's okay. It's not the most deep and meaningful thing to do with your life, but it's it's a lot better than being well. You name it, a big farmer, yeah. executive, whatever the fuck else he might have decided to do with his life. So, yeah. Yeah, no, why not? something a bit admirable in uh, in all of that. You know, um, he also, like, it's 2024, right? And uh, is when he says he's going to run. And that's because, like, in part, he's, like, still working on Fast and Furious movies. Like, yeah, he, I think that's he's... because he's probably got the next three years of movies lined up anyway. So yeah. it'd be a bit difficult for him to extricate himself from that world at short notice. I mean... These Hollywood actors, and he is, you know, he's big. He does a lot yeah. of movies as well. He's in both. like three or four movies a year. Yeah, yeah. Both good and bad. Don't get me wrong. There are some terrible rock movies, including Baywatch, which I thought mm. was fucking atrocious. Quite entertaining, but, you know, atrocious. So, um, yeah, I can, I can only guess he's leaving it to then for career reasons rather than political reasons. Although there are a number of other celebrities who said they'll have a punt in 2020. So... <clears throat> Watch yeah. this space, maybe? I don't know. Well, you, if you uh, if you thought Baywatch was bad, have you seen this trailer for uh, Rampage that he's in? Oh, what are you on about? I'm really looking forward to Rampage. Oh, really? Oh, I don't... Yeah. But did you ever play the... It, it's just... It's such a bad video game. Um, oh, I never played the game, no. Yeah. I just, like... I mean, I did... I was laughing out loud when I, I saw Star Wars uh, recently, and that was one of the... Tra- I think it was the first trailer that played... And I was laughing out loud where he's talking with uh, George, this giant uh, gorilla. And I couldn't quite tell, like, what the hell was going on. And I, I turned to my friend Howie and I was like, what in the hell is this? And he was like, just wait. He's like, you're going to know what it is. And then I guess there, then there was, like, the, I don't know, the, the dinosaur or whatever lizard monster. And I was like, no way. This can't be. And then it was, you know, rampage. Um <laughs> So yeah, I don't know if I'm I'm too excited about that one, um, but I am certainly excited. You, you about are it. perhaps not such a fan of um, big animal, you know, giant monster movies as I am. I, I will watch yeah. anything with a giant monster in, to be honest. And that has meant watching a lot of bad movies over the years. I wholly hold my hand up and admit that. So it will probably be bad. Don't get me wrong, but I am still looking forward to it. Although, yeah, I mean, I guess any time you can get The Rock interacting with a giant gorilla is actually probably pretty, pretty good. And he looks, you know, and it's so funny when he's in these movies where he's, like, supposed to be, like, a, you know, a scientist or something. And it's like, dude, you're not a scientist. <laughs> you know, you could look you could look less like a scientist or, or some sort of gorilla expert. Uh, you know, he just looks so ridiculous. But, but he is, you know, he is The Rock. I mean, you got to give him that. Um, well, I guess maybe moving on to a, a slightly more uh, serious topic than The Rock is uh, we, we want to talk about the most important news story. Um, and uh, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll start this one off. And um, I, again, I, I sort of cheated and had two here. Um, but to me, the most important news story, um, and maybe I don't know if this isn't, you know, kind of lame, but I thought it was the war in Yemen. Um, and I just thought because this is on a such a catastrophic level of destruction and violence, and it's been going on for so long. Uh, and the, the U.S. and the U.K., uh, to a slightly lesser degree, are so deeply involved in what's going on there and selling arms to Saudi Arabia and UAE. Mm. Uh, and uh, just the, the sort of, like, human toll alone 
um, is, is phenomenal in scope. And the fact that it's sort of like a blip on the radar or kind of like a, you know, 60 minutes will do like a little puff piece uh, about Yemen and, and everyone will kind of talk about it, you know, on Monday morning and then forget about it. That to me is just sort of bizarre and, and strange. But I also thought it was the most important news story because I think the ripple effect of what's going on there is going to be huge and we're going to see it uh, unfold in the next couple of years, particularly this like weird cold war or hot war between Saudi Arabia and Iran. I think that'll be amplified. Um, I think uh, we're just going to see how this becomes, a, a, you know, it's also, you know, don't forget Yemen is, is right. You know, those are, uh, waterways are very important for trade and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, you know, if you listen to Trump's, uh, recent foreign policy speech, this, you know, trade and the, the, you know, ma- maintaining the global economy are going to be very important. So who knows how that will play out in Yemen. So to me, that was the, the biggest story. And again, too, I think I just have a soft spot. You know, I've always had a fascination with Yemen and I grew up with a lot of, uh, Yemeni friends when I was a little kid. Uh, so it's always been, uh, you know, uh, near and dear to me. But no, I don't know, Tom, any thoughts on, on, on Yemen as the most important news story? Well, I mean, I agree. It's certainly a very important one and one that has got a, a glimpse of the coverage that it should have got. I mean, you brought it up. Both both our countries are kind of deeply involved in this in various different ways. But perhaps most importantly or most distinctly, it's in our medias just conveniently looking the other way. If this was if this was Iran ta- attacking Yemen. Oh, yeah. Be, it. It'd be everywhere. It would be the news story week after week. Oh, we've got to do something about this. We've got to confront those evil Iranians. But Saudi Arabia can just sort of start a war with a country that it has no real reason to be at war with. I mean, it's not like Yemen has any great resources that the Saudis don't have or anything like that. It it just seems to be they're doing it because they can and because it's territorially a useful spot on the board. It's, it's, you know, kind of pure geopolitics. There's nothing there to actually, there's no spoils of war as such. It's just, we can do this and it means we can, I guess ultimately their aim will be to, what, occupy the country and use it as a potential striking point against Iran? Maybe? Is that where they're headed with this? I mean, what is even the purpose of this war? And that even more so should make it a news story. It's like, it's another one of these wars where no one can really discern the reason. So therefore, no one can really say that purpose has now been accomplished. So the war should end. Because if you never state your purpose in the first place, if you never say this is the aim of the war, then that war can go on forever. And we've seen wars just drag on and drag on, particularly in this post 9-11 period. I mean, you know, Afghanistan and Iraq are still happening. There are still wars of a sort going on there. And what's the end game? What's even the goal anymore? What's even the point at which we say, okay, we've done what we came here to do, or at least we've got as close as we're going to get. Time to give up on this one and, you know, bring those troops out of the country and, you know, let them go home to their families and stop having to hide out in dust bowls, shooting at people they don't know and getting shot at by people they don't know. Let's just bring that to an end and kind of say, it's done. It's There's nothing more to be accomplished here. Let's try something else. But with Yemen, I just can't see... I mean, when's that going to happen? There's no pressure. There's no pushback. No. There's no kind of international outcry. There's no 
UN Security Council ask dragging Saudi Arabia in front of them and saying, what the hell are you up to and why are you doing this? And you just think it's because they're Saudi Arabia. It's because of the oil and it's because of the massive financial and uh, military links, militaristic links between them and NATO. They're kind of a massive NATO outpost. So that's why they're getting away with it. And that's terrible and just morally wrong on every score. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So in that sense, yeah, it's a huge, huge news story. I was just going to say, I think on the, um, you just asked the, you know, what's, what's in it for them or what does the goal look like? I don't think there is a, I think the goal is just the utter slaughter of everybody there, you know? Um, and that uh, once they've killed everybody in Yemen, they can say, oh, we defeated Iran. Um, and I talked about this a few weeks back. I did a show uh, about Yemen and the war there and uh, some of the sort of historical stuff. And, and oddly, Yemen has, has always been sort of this like open playground for regional and world powers to kind of go and get into a pissing contest with one another. Uh, and, you know, all throughout the six, uh, from the fifties onwards, uh, to, I mean, the mid two thousands, Yemen has always been this sort of place where Saudi Arabia and, you know, Jordan and Egypt, uh, the U.S., all these countries kind of go to sort of hash it out with one another. Um, and, uh, and there's almost, you know, to, to no end and with really not, you know, the borders change a little bit, you know, North Yemen gets a little bit bigger, South Yemen gets a little smaller and then those shift back and forth. So I don't know if they're, I think it really is just, it's a place where regional and world powers go to fight one another and they, they don't really have to care about the consequences. Um, yeah, it's a sort you know. of playground for the world's bullies to settle their differences. Yeah. Like Yugoslavia in the 1990s exactly. or, or Afghanistan since about 1970. More or less continuously since about 1970. Yeah. It's been one of those places where superpowers go to kick the crap out of each other and destroy the country in the process. So, yeah, maybe it's just a kind of repeat of that horrible but old and repetitive story. Yeah. And also, uh, you know, just in terms of the importance of it, you know, Nikki Haley, uh, this moron that we have in the UN, you know, she just sort of had her Colin Powell anthrax moment recently where she had this (laughs) stupid PR stunt where she, you know, stood behind what she claimed was an Iranian missile. And I'm not a missile expert, but it, it looked almost like a hot water heater. You know, um, it didn't quite look like what a missile, what I would think a missile looks like, but I don't really know, you know, and, and she, you know, this is it, this is proof, you know, the Iranians are there, we must confront Iran. So they, they, the rhetoric is being amped up to a kind of a frightening degree right now. Uh, and again, there's not all that much proof that Iran is that deeply involved in Yemen with the Houthis. Um, well, they probably, they probably have some sort of involvement, but the notion that like that's what this war is about. Come off yeah. it. Well, get yeah. to what? What does Iran get out of it? I, you know, n- not much. I mean, well, that's why I think their support will probably be on quite a small scale. It's more hmm. just about pissing off the Saudis. Yeah, exactly. In their, in Money their ongoing, and, and maybe some moral support, some logistical support. You know, moving arms, but. You know, I I, I don't know if it, it's not like Iran in Syria or Iraq. No, no, sure. That Yeah, exactly. Those are quite powerful distinctions to be making there. They're very relevant distinctions to be making. And But this is it tells you this is how our politics plays out. And 
I mean, that thing in the UN, I, I haven't seen the particular thing you're talking about, but yeah, it reminds me of Colin Powell. It's like he was sat there with his little, you know, salt shaker full of rice in or anthrax or whatever yeah. the fuck it was he was claiming he had. And I'm thinking, what? The UN just lets you bring vials of anthrax or rice in into the building? Of course they don't. That's just going to be some white powder that you've poured into a jar for, you know, making your point on camera. And the same with this, as if they'd actually let you park a missile <laughs> inside the building. Um, but yet you've got to kind of pretend. And everyone buys into the pretense. Everyone sort of sits there going, oh, you know, a tiny little vial like that could kill hundreds of people in New York or something. And it's like, it's this bloody soul shaker with a bunch of, I don't know, bicarbonate of soda or something in it. It's, yeah. it's, there's nothing happening here. It's all just theater. And yet this is the, I guess, the mechanism by which we supposedly peacefully work out these problems and try and discuss these problems. But once again, it just sort of highlights how pathetic the UN really are. And and that you can get away with this mm. because so many countries could try and do something like that and would be pilloried for it. But Britain, Saudi Arabia, the US, countries like that, Israel, they go there and tell lies. And it's, oh, yeah, we've suddenly got to take it all deadly seriously. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, this is the organization that made Wonder Woman a goddamn peace ambassador. They're just <laughs> it's a joke. Um, and. Okay, that's a trivial side of the UN, but the serious side is that they are legitimizing these wars and they are creating a place by which these wars are rationalized and excused. And because it's all taken so seriously and not subject to the sort of criticism, particularly from the media, that it should be, again, it means these wars just go on and go on and more people die and more people are displaced and places just end up getting ruined, like Libya, Syria, now Yemen. And you just think the repercussions of this aren't going to be small, not just for the people on the ground, but for people in that part of the world for years, potentially decades to come. That's actually what's at stake here. And that so often just seems to kind of get forgotten behind all the theater and all the nonsense. And so, yeah, just to reiterate, a very important story and one that has got nowhere near the coverage and nowhere near the amount of critical coverage that it's deserved. Yeah, no, I know. I, I, I just don't, I, I truly don't understand it. Um, because it's, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm just sort of shocked at, uh, you know, when you, when you say like the worst humanitarians that people are like, oh, Syria or this, it's like, no, it's the, this country, you know, Yemen that we've, uh, messed around with for decades. Um, you know, I mean, just, uh, again, uh, Ali Abdullah Saleh. I mean, not necessarily like my, my favorite person in the world. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he was not an, an independent leader, uh, necessarily. Well, he kind of was in a lot of ways. I think he, he played every side, you know? Um, and ultimately it was sort of about, you know, maintaining his own family's uh, power and stuff. But I think that is why the U.S. was, uh, well, we're going to let him go. And we're not too bummed out that he got killed. I mean, did, you didn't even see the, the U.S. sort of responding to that. You know, this was their this was their guy in Yemen for decades, uh, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. he was uh, murdered uh, just like Gaddafi. You know, in the back of a car somewhere with his head blown off. Um, and uh, I, I'm sure you saw there's this picture of uh, from some Arab summit, but it's you know it's uh, Ben Ali, uh, Gaddafi in the middle, I think, and then um, uh, Salah and Mubarak on either side of him. You know, and it's all, all four of those guys are either dead or in jail or, you know, out of power.
Oh. Tom, did I lose you there? Be... <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just sort of wall and thinking. Yeah, who'd who'd be a leader of one of these countries at this point in time? I mean, regardless of what you think of these men, and I imagine most of what pe- most people are thinking of these men is the same as what I think of them. It's still like some of these countries weren't half bad places to live. They certainly weren't before we went crashing in there or one of our allies went crashing in there and started ruining the place. That's certainly <clears throat> it's um I can't remember the comedian who made that joke, but it's like for all this nation building we talk about, none of our foreign policy actually results in a built nation. <laughs> yeah. It res- it results in the opposite. It results in a broken failing nation. And so <sighs> At this point, you have to think they either don't care or it's entirely deliberate or, you know, a mixture of both. This is an accident. This isn't imperial hubris. It isn't, you know, that that common excuse that is made for these kinds of things as to, oh, we just we didn't realize what the consequences would be. Well, if we don't realize what the consequences are going to be by now, we're never going to realize that. And I personally suspect that these people are considerably more intelligent than that i think they know exactly what the consequences are going to be and like i say they either don't care or they actually want this to happen Mm. Mm -hmm. Uh, no no certainly um so yeah definitely an important news story people and i think it's going to be important in next year even more so than it was this year so you know i hope people kind of pay attention to that um tom what was uh what was your uh most important news story of the year Well, I guess, I mean, along similar lines, the one I was thinking of was, I don't want to phrase it quite as simply as this, but the destruction of ISIS in Syria and in Iraq. Not that they're, you know, completely dead, but eh, there's not much of them left. You know, Raqqa is now under, as far as I can tell, the Syrian government control. Yeah. And who would have thought that 12, 18 months ago? I remember when we were discussing this probably in one of our Homeland episodes saying, you know, how does this come to an end? Does this not just keep churning away and away and away? And, you know, we could st- it could still be like this in 10 years time. But it seems that something has shifted on the ground in Syria. And now, again, whatever you make of Assad, and I'm not by any means a particular fan of the man, but nonetheless, I think people are probably better off with him than with a bunch of jihadi cannibals being sponsored by NATO. Yeah. So if that's your choice, you know, I'd vote for Assad as well. Um, yeah. So, you know, it seems that they're actually getting some kind of forward momentum, that some sense of stability and law and order is actually being restored to some parts of Syria. And that's a big step and an important one, because let's not forget, when we first went into Syria, the whole point was to destabilize the country and get rid of Assad. And then suddenly, in the summer of 2014, because of a bunch of rather dubious YouTube videos about beheadings, that all changed, and suddenly it's all about ISIS and the Islamic State and the growth of the, whatever, fundamentalist caliphate and all of that stuff, and suddenly they were the enemy. They were who we were trying to combat. And then we spent about two years failing miserably to combat ISIS, despite them having no air force, and despite the UK and America having the best air forces in the world, well, except maybe China, you know. Um, and it's like, well, how could we not defeat them? They have no real anti-air capacity. You know, how 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 are we not just bombing them into the ground? Because um, we were certainly dropping plenty of bombs on Syria. So you've got to wonder, was the purpose ever to get rid of ISIS? And then... Again, not to heroize Russia and Putin, but 
you know, they stepped in. They had a very specific aim in mind, which was to destroy and beat back this Islamist opposition and to reestablish the authority of the government. And obviously Assad is their ally and, you know, they're doing it for geopolitical reasons. They don't particularly care about ISIS. But nonetheless, it's been quite effective. And that's a big change and a big story. And again, one that doesn't, it, it seems to have almost slipped by without anyone questioning the ramifications of this and saying, well, doesn't this actually change the game in Syria? Doesn't it mean that we're now, what are we even there for? What are we even doing right. in Syria anymore? If ISIS has now been more or less defeated, or at least it now seems to be a small enough force that the Syrian government can deal with it on their own with a bit of support from the Russians, why don't we just step back and leave them to it? And you you got to wonder, is it going to go one way or the other? Is that going to happen? Which is what Trump, of course, promised. <laughs> right. As, well, contradicting himself, but don't get me wrong. Um, but, you know, he did say this a number of times that, you know, Syria is not working for us. We need to get out of there. It's just causing more problems than it's ever going to be worth. He said that numerous times before he got elected. Hasn't said an awful lot of that since he got elected. No. So you got to wonder, well, you or to are they now... Are they now going to think this is the time to press our advantage and to go back to trying to get rid of Assad? Mm. And that, that's a real a fork, you know, a fork in the road. And I'm not sure where it's going to end up. But because of that, that's why I think it's probably the most important story. Certainly one of the most important underreported stories of the year. Oh, no, I was going to say, if you, if you listen to Trump's rhetoric, it you know, he defeated ISIS. Um, but even if he did... <laughs> Um, you know, then it is like, so what's our plan for Syria? Are, are, does this mean we're going to stop funding, uh, the Kurdish militias? You know, we're not, we're not going to have special forces and CIA, uh, embedded within the, the Kurdish armed forces. Are we leaving? I know. And, and I guess I, I, I agree with you too. It, it is such an important, if not the most, one of the most important stories, uh, too, because it, it also is, in, you know, even when Trump talks about how he defeated ISIS, okay, the, okay, fine, let's accept that. Or even if we Never, accept yeah. that, you know, the, it was really the Russians and the Iranians that helped Assad defeat ISIS, why are we still, uh, then, you know, why are we even still talking about them? You know, why are they still a boogeyman? Um, the media still is ISIS, ISIS, ISIS inspired. You know, now it's like, there is no ISIS, yet everybody is inspired by ISIS. Um, no, sure. This is like Al Qaeda circa 2004, maybe. Because to be honest, Al Qaeda, in as much as it existed in Afghanistan, was pretty much wiped out by the end of 2001, the beginning of 2002. There wasn't a lot left. I know there's this, what's it, the Horse Soldiers film, the Jerry Bruckheimer film that's coming out. That I don't know if you've seen the trailer for that no. one, but it talks. It talks about. Uh, it's, it's your classic, you know, 12 American soldiers versus the Arab hordes okay, um, yeah, movie. And the, and the trailer says something like, you know, 12 brave men against 50,000 Al-Qaeda fighters. <laughs> and I'm sat there thinking, Al-Qaeda never had 50,000 fighters. Yeah. Even in, even during the Soviet-Afghan war, they didn't have that many no, fighters. that would be a massive army. <laughs> that, you know, that would be an army. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that would not be, a you know, an, an insurgent jihadi network. Mm. Um, so it's like that. And you remember we started, I think it was around 2004-ish, we started getting these so-called Al-Qaeda franchise groups. Al-Qaeda in the Islamic Maghreb, Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula. Yeah, um, Al-Shabaab. Yeah, Al-Shabaab. And, and that became the new 
you know, version of Al Qaeda. Oh no, it's no, no longer about Bin Laden and Afghanistan and the Afghan Pak border region and all of that. It's now that it's fragmented and that they've, there's all these other groups popping up inspired by Al Qaeda. And so then we expanded this increasingly vague and pointless and futile war on terror to now confront these so-called franchise groups. And then you think, well, are they going to just try and do the same thing with ISIS? They're going to say, oh, ISIS in Syria is dead. But now we're going to get the Islamic State of Peckham or <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I, th- I have a feeling that's where the media coverage is going, because that story kind of came and went so quickly that no one really said, oh, well, if they're dead, do we not have to worry about them really so much anymore? If it's just now a bunch of kind of pathetic jihadis slowly getting bombed to death by the Syrian government and getting shot by the you know Kurds, Iranians, Hezbollah, whoever, then they're not really a big security threat. They're not a national security concern for the US and Western Europe. No, no, that's never really been part of this story and part of this dialogue. And so I have a feeling we're going to see the same thing we saw with Al-Qaeda, where it's going to say, oh, they're now this sort of disparate, you know, Islamic state, this even more decentralized and fragmented notion. And hence, we're going to say they're going to start, you know, the Islamic State of Mali or something. Oh, now now we've got to go bomb them in Mali. That sort of thing. I have a feeling that's where it's going to go, which is not a good thing. Don't get me wrong. But I'm just sort of making a vague prediction here. I could be totally wrong. No, I I agree with you. You know, it's funny. I think that is probably what's going to happen because I don't they're not going to get rid of uh islamic terrorism anytime soon you know that that still has to whether real or imagined or you know how much of it is sort of poked and prodded by the u.s imperialist uh government or whatnot but that will still exist and they'll still need somebody and i i do think it's going to become more uh, i mean that was one of my you know sort of predictions with uh, yemen i mean who knows the vacuum that's created by this war there that's perfect for um you know maybe we'll see a return of the the sort of islamic uh islamist terror rhetoric where you know saudi arabia is the bad guy um especially now that saudi arabia mm. and israel are apparently bff uh, and everything is you know all, is fine between the two of them maybe that will become more of a of a something at play here um and it's funny too you just mentioned tom that um you know isis might be going the way of al qaeda with this franchise stuff and yet we're now being told, you know, by like the geniuses at uh, the uh, Long War Journal and other places, that that wasn't even true. That actually Bin Laden was in charge of everything, you know, and it wasn't this disparate group. And he was the mastermind, you know, in his uh, home in Abbottabad with a satellite phone and, you know, conducting. Sure, sure, sure. He was secretly running all of these different franchise groups by sending a handful of letters every once right, in a while. Right. Oh, no, yeah, by carrier pigeon, apparently. Yeah, yeah, he was secretly running the the global jihad. Whereas, I mean, you and I both think, well, the global jihad was probably run by the CIA's global jihad unit. <laughs> After all, it is called the global jihad unit. So, <laughs> right. you know, what do you, what do you think they spend their time doing? Mm. Um, I'm being a little flippant now, no, no, but no, it's because no, this is kind of true, it's kind though. of a, it's it's a slightly depressing topic, and yeah. so you know, sometimes I feel the need to make jokes and laugh at it because it is absurd that anyone even believes this crap anymore. Mm. No, and to just, you know, back to the point of importance of this, too, I, I, you know, this, uh, the way that ISIS kind of, like, came on the scene, you know, even a few years back, like with Obama, uh, you know, it was like, bam, we're, you know, it was, you know, sort of, it's like, it, it's hip to be a jihadi again, 
You know, like look at look at we got these slick videos and we're kidnapping people and we're we're taking over you know large swaths of uh, Iraq and Syria and all these other places. Um, and you know, it, and then the fact that it sort of like slipped away and now it's it's um even the media now more or less admits. I mean, there is, who is he? Where is Baghdadi? Does he even exist? You know, um, is there not much has of- been heard of him since the Russians claim to have killed him? Whether or not that claim was true, I've got no idea, of course. But I, I really don't think I've heard really anything of him since that story. No. Um, so, yeah, yeah, where is he? Well, isn't he supposed to be establishing this caliphate that goes all the way from fucking Pakistan to Spain or something? You remember <laughs> yeah, yeah, that yeah. map that we kept being shown of, you know, this is what the Islamic State will look like in 50 years or something. It's like they couldn't even hang on to Raqqa for more than about four years. I mean, right. it's, it's it's a joke. No, no, totally. Absolutely. Um no, it's it's shocking. Uh, I know it just sort of boggles the mind, and the way that they just sort of kind of get away with it. And again, like I said, now it's it's uh, inspired by ISIS. Uh, I mean, it's 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 not even now. It's almost just like an idea, you know. Um, and when it becomes this abstract idea, where anybody with an internet connection can become inspired by ISIS and carry out it, I mean, how do you prevent that? You know, that becomes so. Oh, of course, you can't. Yeah. yeah. Oh. It becomes so so disparate, so decentralized, so unpredictable and so random that the notion that it actually starts to resemble real terrorists. Yeah. You know what I mean? In as much as there are terrorists in the world, they are mostly a bunch of disparate, random people who've somehow become radicalized or pissed off about something enough to commit criminal violence. I mean, that's right. all a terrorist really is when you break it down. And so... You gotta say, at least that version is slightly more accurate and realistic than the, you know, totally centralized, they're secretly running everything kind of, uh, model that we had of Al Qaeda circa 98 to 2002 and like we had with ISIS circa 2013 to 16 or so. Um, at least this version will be slightly more reflective of reality, but it just provides that excuse, that perpetual uh, omnipresent excuse for surveillance, for imprisoning people without charge, for secret trials, for Guantanamo Bay, all of this. It's like, oh, well, if it's everywhere, or it potentially could be everywhere at all times, in all places, involving all people, then, well, what is a terrorist anymore? It's just anyone they designate and decide to do something to. Well, uh, Tom, we're, we're, we're at the break right now, uh, but we will be continuing uh, our conversation on all of this. We're also going to get to the most overblown news story and our favorite movie or TV show uh, of the year. So uh, stay tuned. American Freedom Radio. American Survival Wholesale is a proud sponsor of the American Freedom Radio. And when you purchase quality products from AmericanSurvivalWholesale.com, you help support this program. 
Our quality non-GMO foods do not contain MSG, high fructose corn syrup, or heavy metals. At American Survival Wholesale, you can choose from over 8,000 quality products, including self-defense weapons, bug-out bags, and long-term storable food at wholesale prices. We also have custom food packs available, including gluten-free, dairy-free, and vegetarian packs. If we don't have it, (laughs) you don't need it. American Survival Wholesale is a veteran-owned and operated company, which also supports our veterans in need, and we are very active in disaster relief. If you would like to become a distributor, please email us at bugoutamerica at usa.com or call 818-720-0759. We offer free consultations to answer all your questions. Do it today while things are calm. That's americansurvivalwholesale.com. And I hope people support American Freedom Radio. And I hope people vote with their dollars and really understand the value of having American Freedom Radio. Because that's my family. If you love me at all, Jack Blood, support American Freedom Radio. Like, my family has literally disowned me. (laughs) American Freedom Radio, Danny and Don and those guys, those are my actual family. So please, please support these guys because they have all the technology. They have all these great things that they're going to do. But obviously, they can't do it all by themselves. So not only would I like to see you support them, I'd like to see you retweet them and repost them and really get involved and get on the the bandwagon, so to speak, on doing that do-it-yourself promotion because they're a do-it-yourself radio network, and, uh, and we just need that so much. And when we're not invading some sovereign nation or setting it on fire from the air, which is more fun for our Nintendo pilots, then, then we're usually declaring war on something here at home. Did you ever notice that about us? We love to declare war on things here in America. Anything we don't like about ourselves, we declare war on it. We don't do anything about it. We just declare war on it. It's the only metaphor, the only metaphor we have in our public discourse for solving problems, declaring war. We have to declare a war on everything. We have a war on crime, the war on poverty, the war on litter, the war on cancer, the war on drugs. But you ever notice we got no war on homelessness, huh? No war on homelessness. You know why? There's no money in that problem. No money to be made off of the homeless. If you can find a solution... If you could find a solution to homelessness where the corporate swine and the politicians could steal a couple of million dollars each, you'd see the streets of America begin to clear up pretty quick. I'll guarantee you that. I will guarantee you that. You're listening to AmericanFreedomRadio.com, the network who perseveres in delivering intelligent debate, constructive dialogue with true independence. The freedom to broadcast the truth is not free at all. So what is American Freedom Radio worth to you? The empowering information with fun, honest and pure integrity behind it provides an example to follow. Friendships to flourish with the moral altruism that pulls no punches. The hosts sacrifice and show remarkable discipline in their duty to deliver quality radio and service to the community with strength, wisdom and loyalty. The founders of AFI wish to thank you personally for sharing your views and insights to make the best radio and alternative media. Now it's time for you to give something back and play a vital role in the future of America. Be as generous with us as we've been with you. Click on the donate banner at AmericanFreedomRadio.com or volunteer by emailing AmericanFreedomRadio at Ymail.com. Vaccine, psychotropic drugs and artillery batteries not included. Launch sequence initiated. We're now in the approach phase. Everything looking good. We need to go. 
Porkins Policy Radio. I am your host, Pierce Redman. Uh, if you are just joining us right now in the second hour, we have been speaking with a good friend of the show, Tom Secker, um, doing a, a bit of a, a Boxing Day uh, holiday special, uh, talking about our favorite stories, our most important news stories, all of that uh, good stuff. Uh, and it, Tom, I, I know I, I keep saying Boxing Day, and I assume that everybody in the U.S. knows what Boxing Day is because it's on all of the calendars. Uh, but what Boxing Day really is more of a, a UK holiday, also like Canada, Australia, New Zealand. What is Boxing Day? I don't know. Oh, really? Oh. <laughs> I, I totally wasn't prepared for that question. I don't actually know what it's the day after Christmas. <laughs> I think no, yeah, I, and I think it's um, it's like the day that the servants had off, and they received like a small box with a gift in it. That sounds right. Yeah, I, I vaguely remember is. being told yeah. that in a history lesson maybe 20 years ago. So, yeah, yeah let's go with that. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> well, anyway, <laughs> uh, that aside, now we've defined Boxing Day. Um, any, uh, I, I kind of had one other, uh, imp- what I thought was an important news story, but maybe a kind of, uh, I don't know, I'll, I'll just throw it out there. I don't personally think that it's, it's necessarily the most important news story, but I think it's important in terms of the impact. And that would be the the whole like Me Too movement and this sort of wave of um, people coming forward, speaking out about sexual abuse, sexual violence and all of that. Uh, and only because it's just really kind of created this huge new movement. And maybe we'll see it die down a little bit. But I just thought I would just throw it out there just because it's it sort of gripped the entire world. Then, you know, suddenly now everyone is talking about it. Um, I don't know. Any thoughts on that, Tom? Honestly, I mean, my prediction was that this story would be basically dead by the end of the year and that the media would stop caring about it. And then I guess in a few days time, we will see whether or not that prediction actually comes true. I have very, very mixed feelings about all this. Um, I think it's very good that more light is being shed on this. But my problem is, would anyone give that much of a damn if these weren't celebrities? That's more my that's kind of my biggest reservation is that it's plain to me, absolutely plain to me that our justice system is failing rape victims in in almost every conceivable way. Um, The conviction rate is pathetic. The number of untested rape kits in the U.S., which is something that uh, a lot of FOIA requests have been devoted to in the last well, since well before this story broke, is enormous. And you think, well, you know, how how many rapists are there out there that could be caught and could be prosecuted and thrown in prison just as they should be 
that aren't because there isn't it seems almost any real political pressure to actually do anything about this and that's one of the most serious criminal problems i think in in western society i genuinely believe that i don't think there are there probably aren't any other crimes that sort of aren't dealt with in the way that they should be on that kind of a scale but none of that seems to be part of this story none of that really seems to be the focus i mean just to take one example and this is not the best example because it hasn't actually got to trial yet but the story about the young lady who was uh raped by those two cops do you know this one uh here in the u.s yeah 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 yeah. it was in new york i think right yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, and assuming everything that she's saying is true, and from what I can tell, she has no reason to lie, so I can only assume that story is true. And because this woman has an Instagram, and because she is fairly attractive, this resulted in a pretty nasty, I wouldn't say campaign, but certainly period of what's called slut-shaming, right? Um which is essentially just a euphemism for people being misogynistic, as far as I can tell. Yeah. Um, that's, that's all it really comes down to. And to me, that's the heart of this story, is this young lady who did, as far as I can tell, nothing wrong, who was abused by two men in a position of power who felt that they could cover it up and felt that they wouldn't get into trouble for it who was subject to a serious violent crime, no dispute that, you know, if her story's true, she was subject to a serious violent crime, a crime that is far more important than a lot of crimes that get on the news, let's say that. And yet the media coverage is about this petty falling out between Rose McGowan and Meryl Streep. Yeah, I know. And that's why I think this thing is kind of starting to eat itself, is that because it was about celebrities, because it was presented in as a scandal rather than a series of crimes that needed to be addressed, because it threw in everything from someone pinched my ass at a Christmas party 23 years ago through to I was gang raped. It meant that what was this even about? Where was the focus in this story? Where was the pressure being applied? And not to sound... No, I'm going to sound cynical. Um, I read recently about a so-called like Hollywood panel of people who are setting up some kind of informal commission to look at this problem and try and do something about it. And one of the forerunners of this was... Um, what's the name? The, the president of Lucasfilm, Kathleen... Uh, Kennedy. Yeah, Kathleen Kennedy. And I was thinking, Kathleen Kennedy is extraordinarily rich. She's in charge of a multi-billion dollar film franchise, which is one of, I guess, the two most iconic film franchises of all time. I would say Star Wars and James Bond. She's not lacking power. She is not one of these disempowered women who's being abused by the system. She's not really an appropriate person to be complaining about this. You know what I mean? Mm. And it just came across to me as this is the Hollywood liberal elite's response to this, is to basically put themselves in charge and say, look at what we're doing, aren't we great? And meanwhile, 
everyone seems to have forgotten about that young lady who was raped by two cops. And I just feel, unless the focus shifts back onto things like that, which it might do, and if it does, that'll be a very good thing. That really will. Um, but if that doesn't happen, and it all becomes about celebrities falling out with each other on Twitter and making proclamations about how wonderful they are for having made proclamations about something, then it's just going to dissipate and nothing will change. And again, I don't want to be depressing about it, but these are very serious, violent crimes. And at the end of the day, we have to not lose sight of that because that's what matters here. Most of the rest of it is just hot air and allegation and counter allegation and people guessing at each other's motives and stereotyping and blah, 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 blah. That's the bit that really matters. So in as much as it has created some kind of space to talk about that issue, it's a good thing. All the other dimensions of it, I have huge reservations about. Uh, that's, that's my thinking on Weinstein Gate and hashtag me too and all of that. No, I, 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 uh, agree on, on similar grounds there with some of the, the direction with which it's going because I've, um, and I don't know, I, I do think it is really important. I think it's because it does seem like while maybe the direction of it is being, uh, like you said, kind of, I don't know, focused around this sort of Hollywood petty, crap back and forth between them uh i do uh i think that there is still something important in the just in, in the mere fact that now it's sort of out there you have to talk about this people are being sort of uh upfront about how horrible this all is i think that is great but i do agree with you that the uh the tone of it is a little interesting uh in the way like it, it's almost like there isn't a, a discussion as to well why is it that seemingly all of these men uh you know particularly celebrities you know that's where the focus is at the moment but moreover why is it <coughs> excuse me i'm sorry i'm ca- I, uh, sorry if the, the coughing uh, uh com- comes over i thought i muted my mic before but i don't know if i did um but why is the conversation not about why is this happening you know it's just like the, he did it we need to call him out in public and get him fired. And then that's the end of it. You know, there's no like legal ramifications for a lot of this. Um, and while, no, 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 sure, sure. The, the object, the objective in an awful lot of this seems to be to get these almost entirely men fired. And it's like, well, okay. If what they were doing was groping women at work. Yeah. Fair enough. Fire them. Cause I guess that's, that doesn't, quite rise to the level that it'd be all that easy to prosecute i guess they could sue him yeah you know that yeah, but, be, they, but they, that doesn't even happen or doesn't seem to really be part of the discussion part of the agenda we will have to wait and see you know how much actual legal action results from this yeah but if you're talking about people who are serial sexual assaulters or even rapists getting them fired doesn't get the job done you know, that's that's not going to scare other would-be rapists. That's just going to make them think, oh, well, as long as I don't get caught, then I won't lose my job. And even if I do get caught, well, I'll lose my job and there'll be some nasty tabloid headlines about me, but then everyone will forget about it and move on. And particularly in Hollywood, where there's always something else to be talking about, um, 
isn't that the whole point of a criminal justice system? Is to deter those people who... I mean, most of us wouldn't do those things because it's wrong. Because we actually have respect for other people, so we don't treat them like that. But some people clearly don't think like that, feel like that. So surely part of the point of a criminal justice system is to deter those people. Is to say to those people, if you do this, there's a good chance you'll get caught and there's a good chance you'll be nailed to the wall. So, okay, it's not perfect scaring psychopaths out of being rapists, but it's the best, it's the best solution we've got so far. Um, because I don't know how else you tackle that problem, how else you put people off from, if you like, becoming rapists. So that's, yeah, like I say, that's where the focus should be, because that's what's effective. Um, <laughs> it's not perfect. It's not always effective. It, you know, it never will be. There's seven billion people on the planet. We're not going to eliminate rape. So we do the best we can, and the best we can is to nail these bastards and, and throw them in jail where yeah. we can find them and where we can. Um, and I got, I got absolutely no problem with that. In fact, it's one of those rare examples. I'm normally one of those people who, being something of a libertarian, or at least civil libertarian in that sense, I think a lot of sentences for relatively petty crimes are too harsh and too heavy, particularly when you're looking at things like you know drug possession and stuff like that. But when it comes to rape, I actually think these sentences are too low on average. I think they oh, should be yeah. higher. No, no, I think it's, it's crazy. You can get like a few years. Yeah, you, you get people who've violently, you know, beaten someone up and raped them. No dispute as to this isn't like some where there might be some ambiguity or gray area involved. It's just, you know, that's just a horrible, violent crime and that's the end of it. And you think six, seven, eight years? It's not long enough to me. It doesn't function as enough of a t deterrent, and that's the main point. It's not just about punishing people who have done something horrible. It's, like I say, about deterring others who might consider doing the same thing. So, yeah, sorry, this is a depressing <laughs> topic. It just is. Uh, well, that's my fault. I brought it up. Um, that's fine. It's fine. I'm just saying I, I, I don't have any kind of silver lining really to pick out of this no um, nor do i and i, I and i guess I, I um i that's i don't know that's why i still thought it would it's worth bringing up because i think it is um there is a, a huge amount of importance that should be placed on this and we <clears throat> really should be uh looking at you know uh legal ways to to confront this as well and i don't see that happening although it, it is early days in terms of all of this and I think we should be looking deeper into why this is happening, not just that it is happening. Um, but uh, moving on from from this, uh, we we also, Tom, we also wanted to talk about the most overblown news stories. Um, and uh, uh, maybe you, I'll, I'll throw it to you to start this one off. Um, but I, I have uh, again, I have two. Uh, but what was your most overblown news story? Oh, it has to be RussiaGate. Okay, yeah, I've got a gate in mine as well. So. <laughs> um, not to like downplay this, but I'm just sort of uh, this thing's been going for sixteen, seventeen months. I mean, this started in the summer before the election, right? This accusation that somehow Russia was tampering with the U.S. presidential election, and that's when he started getting the sanctions and the accusations, and you know, committee committees in the Senate and what have you. And I'm thinking, well, where? Where is it? Where's the beef? Where's where's the actual stuff where you're demonstrating the Russian state, not just random people in Russia, 
or people who are so-called tied to Russia or yeah, connected yeah. to Russia. But the actual Russian state did something specific that had a result on the election, that had an impact on it. Where's that? Because, <laughs> you know, over a year later, I'm still waiting for it. The U.S. intelligence community, so-called community, although it turned out it was actually just three out of those, whatever, 19 agencies, put their name on this. And they said, we assessed that it was at least the Russian in state intention to interfere in the election. They never put their name on saying it actually worked or what the consequence of this was. They just said they were trying right. to. Um, but where's the evidence? I mean, presumably they said that and they made that claim on the basis of evidence. So why a year later have we not seen this? And they say, oh, well, yeah, no, we you know, can't reveal investigative methods and so on. But what you're talking about, what you're alleging here is that a rival superpower manipulated your election. Yeah. That kind of overrides any excuses about, oh, we've got to keep certain things secret. And so I can only assume if they had it, we'd have seen it by now. And I'm the last person on earth who would defend Eric Prince. Don't get me wrong. But I read the transcript of his appearance before the whichever committee it was. And OK, they were chasing up on some Washington Post reporting and asking about it. And every single time he basically said there's no story there, that didn't happen. I don't know, maybe he's lying, maybe he isn't. It wouldn't surprise me either way, really. wouldn't surprise me if he was lying at all. But then as it went on, it just descended into farce. It was like you, you had these people sat there going, oh, well, what other foreign countries have you been to in recent years? Oh, well, I went, yeah, on, holiday right. to it I went on holiday to Italy. Well, did you meet any foreign nationals there? Well, I met some Italians, if that's what you're driving at. I mean, yeah, I know. What is, what is this? Yeah. What's the point of all this? When when are they actually going to get to what did the Russian state do? Because then you might actually, <laughs> I mean, you can see a situation where this is still going to be rolling in the run up to the next presidential election. Oh, totally. And if by that point, it, I mean, let's imagine just for a moment this is true, right? Let's imagine that somehow <laughs> the Russian state actually managed to get Trump elected. I know that's a gross simplification, but whatever. For the sake of argument. Well, if you don't actually figure that out and do something about it, what's to stop them the next time? Or, in fact, don't you have Senate elections next year? Yeah. What's to stop them doing it again? Because apparently America is totally defenseless against this, and a year of investigation can't actually turn over anything of any great substance. What, they managed to get some guys who lied to the FBI? Well, you know, who hasn't lied to the FBI? Um, that's, that's not an awful of a story there. So to my mind, that's the most overblown story because it just doesn't, there doesn't seem to be any beef there. Or if there was, we would have seen it by now. And like I say, on the flip side, if somewhere hidden in a the cupboard there is some beef, nothing seems to have been done about this. All of those problems are still going to be there when you start electing senators next year and start electing a, the same president or another president in a couple of years down the road. So, the stakes are so high that I just would have thought it would be taken more seriously, which says to me it didn't really happen. Could be wrong. I could be wrong. No, no, I, I agree. I, I agree with you. I think that what began as, a, a, you know, we're going to look into Russian meddling in the election has now just turned into 
uh, your everyday corruption trial. I think that if there's going to be anything at the end of the tunnel with all of this, it's going to be that, uh, you know, they were taking bribes or, you know, laundering some dirty money back and forth. I think that's kind of it, which is still important, but it's not, like you said, it's not this that, uh, you know, democracy is at stake here. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, I, I would agree. Well, and I also wonder how much of it that, that actually involves the Russian state. Well, that's rather, what I was going to say, rather too. Rather than is just this, rich right. Russians. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Is this, you know, the Russian state as it exists today, or is this, you know, uh, from like a top-down level? Or like you say, are these some Russians that might have connections to the state or, uh, or, or just rich Russians? You know, well, I mean, I mean we, these... we know about like George Soros meddling in various elections and different yeah, political processes and, you know, supporting political movements and so on. And other billionaires. I mean, Soros is the one that gets all the attention because he's Jewish. But, you know, there are plenty of other billionaires yeah. out there doing similar things. You know, Western billionaires I'm talking about. So would it be all that surprising if some Russian billionaires did the same thing back? No, it would not be that no, surprising no, to me at all. But that's all it would be is, you know, some some rich ass clowns doing what they I mean, why do they even do it? I guess it's because when you're that rich, what else is there left to do except start meddling in the politics of any country that takes your fancy? So I can totally believe that. And maybe that's where it will ultimately end up. But as with most big news stories, lots of other things get built on top of that and attached to it. And you end up with this thing that so much of it is by implication. Someone with Russian ties spoke to someone with ties to the Trump administration. Right. Well, that could that could mean anything, really. <laughs> that yeah, literally exactly. could mean almost anything. So I just my eyes are really starting to glaze over with that story at this point. Oh, I, I don't care anymore. I honestly don't care. I, I said this recently. He could <laughs> Putin could have been in the room with Trump. I don't care anymore. You know, yeah. it's just like I, it, I, you know, it's just it's gone. My, my attention span and patience for this story is just uh Okay. okay, I'll shut up about it then. What were you, your two stories? <laughs> well, I well, I guess, you know, uh, for me, hands down, Pizzagate was the most overblown story. <laughs> um, you know, because this is just... I've kind of forgotten that even happened. <laughs> I know, that's what I mean, exactly, you know, but but at the time, it was, you know, the, the, the I don't know, the, the sky was falling, you know, um, it was the end times, this was going to be the, the moment that everything was revealed, and we finally you know, destroyed this dark cabal that's been, uh, you know, uh, stealing our children and whatnot. And then, you know, poof, it just kind of disappears. Um, but I thought it was the most overblown, too, because uh, so many people, you know, their careers now as quote-unquote alternative journalists has been predicated on mm. them milking and using Pizzagate. Um, and it was a guy like David Seaman, um, Mike Cernovich, uh, all of these little right-wing trolls that have popped up and suddenly have tons of money at their disposal. They all used Pizzagate as, uh, and, and Twittergate and the whole, all of the, the, the more kind of bizarre, terrifying stuff that was happening, uh, or exploitative, uh, aspects of this. They all used that to their advantage. And now suddenly you, you could care less. I mean, like when there is like a, a sort of like, pizza gate ish real story happening like jeffrey epstein and donald trump or you mm -hmm. know roy moore in alabama or i mean name mm -hmm. a person um they could care less you know or, or they'll only talk about it insofar as well i'll use this against the other guy um so yeah to me 
that was just the most overblown story. And, and because it was this like, you know, people were like frantic and it's almost like orgasmic and, and excited that this was going to, we're finally going to do this. You know, this is going to bring down everybody and, and Trump will rise like a phoenix from the ashes and, you know, we'll live in a utopian world, uh, with Bitcoin or something like that. Um, so to me, that had to be the most overblown story because it, and now it's gone and nobody cares. And, uh, you, you even, you know, you don't even, even like, like Alex Jones, he won't even talk about it anymore. You know, it's like it, it didn't exist. Um, and you know, that to me makes it just the most overblown story that you could have these people who now are suddenly like, uh, you know, Twitter celebrities getting like Cernovich, he gets profiled in 60 minutes and, Vice magazine mm-hmm. and New York magazine, all these places. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, Pizza Gate's like a footnote to, to this whole thing. And it's just sort of like forgotten. Um, and it, it's no longer important. You don't really hear people talking about it, even though it was going to change the world. And <clears throat> sort of along that, that, that similar vein, I thought the most overblown, uh, the other most overblown news story was this claim that we were going to, you know, change the world. That, that we were going to defeat the deep state that, uh, you know, and, and in that I'll sort of put, you know, the whole make America great again, Donald Trump, uh, Bitcoin and uh, even uh, Newsbud, you know, changing the media landscape. You know, we're going to disrupt all this stuff and finally take on the, the evil deep state puppet masters. None of this has happened um, at all. Oh, no. And uh, no. and, and this, I guess this idea that that was going to happen uh, as long as you give us money, you know, just keep giving us money and, and we're going to make America great again and we're going to do all these things. So to me, that was kind of the most overblown news story was uh, the, the Pizzagate and this we're going to defeat the deep state or something, you know, um, mm-hmm. as if it even exists in the way they talk about it and as if you could even do that. Um, but I don't know. That's me. Um, I think I guess theoretically you could put these people up in front of a court if you could even identify them. And if oh, we yeah. can even figure out what it is that they're actually doing and who's actually responsible for it. But in as much as you can do that and with some things you can, um, that's theoretically possible, whether or not you could ever actually make it happen. I, I, I mean, I'm, I've got to wonder, has anyone tried? No, no, but that, that that's and that's back to my point. I mean, these people, um, you know, were not actually they don't actually care about about putting these people, you know, they they, they want to just they think exposing them in a YouTube video is going to change the world. You know, well, um, well, I think I can understand why people thought that in the early days of YouTube. I think it's had a long enough testing period. I mean, YouTube, what it was 2004, 2005, it was launched. Um, I think if it was going to happen by now, would have happened by now. Hasn't. Therefore, <laughs> doesn't work. No. <laughs> um, I mean, I wish it did. I wish it was that simple, but it's not. Me too. But, you know, I also live in reality, not, you know, a fantasy well, world. <laughs> let me just throw this one out there. As, just simply as an idea, crowdfund a lawsuit against someone you have serious evidence against. You actually want to take down the so-called deep state or the so-called powers that be or, what you know, whoever it is that you think, you know, needs to be taken down. Rather than donating your money to Alex Jones or Sibel Edmonds or any of these shysters, how about, yeah, crowdfund a lawsuit? It's, a be- it's got a better chance of success, is all I'm saying. I'm not by any means offering any guarantees. I'm not saying I have a huge amount of faith in the judicial system or in lawyers, for that matter. But, you know, 
it's certainly worth a punt given that 15 years of YouTube videos hasn't done the trick. So if all of that money yeah. and all of that time and effort that had gone into all of that had been put into legal action against people that we do actually have pretty good evidence against, then maybe if it wouldn't have brought down the deep state, it might have got them to back off a little bit. Might have scared them. Might have put a cat among the pigeons. And if you can achieve that much, then you've achieved a lot more than a million YouTube videos ever will. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think that, you know, the real problem with that is, A, that would actually involve uh, real effort, you know, beyond sitting in front of a, a webcam and making a video. B, they don't even really have all that. You know, the, the people um, <clears throat> that, uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, scream the loudest about this, they don't even really have evidence or they don't even have evidence that you could bring in a court of law. You know what I mean? Um, again, making incoherent uh, videos on YouTube about, you know, this connection to this guy and then that guy. And then it was the, you know, the Jewish mafia that came in here, did this and blah, blah, blah. That's the, you, you, you can't, you can't bring like that into, uh, uh, in front of a judge and be like, okay, uh, you know, issue the, uh, arrest warrant. Like we've got him. Um, and, uh, I think in front of them, I don't even, you know, they, they, they don't, the attention span isn't there for them, you know? It's no, uh, because they've, no. they've they've moved on so quickly, you know. Now they're on to like the latest um, crazy conspiracy theory, um, you know, about the Marines uh, were storming the CIA a few days ago to stop a a deep state uh, coup, and uh, and that when Donald Trump uh, was you know fumbling to drink his Fiji water, uh, he was actually. Um, you know, he, he stared at the camera for a brief moment, and that was to let the CEOs of Fiji Water know that he knows that they're part of the Clinton, uh, child trafficking cabal. I don't know if you saw that, Tom, but that is, that is now being floated out there. Um, I, you know, I have not, I'm, I'm glad to say I have not seen that, <laughs> because that sounds like a gigantic waste of everyone's time. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so um, I don't know. Maybe enough on because I'll go. Uh, you know, I'll get too caught up talking about. Uh, <laughs> no, we both we both would. <laughs> all of that. So we'll just maybe we'll move on from the most over because they don't even need to. We don't need to spend that much time because they are overblown. Um, and I guess we'll we'll um, uh, we've got to, oh we still got a, a half an hour here so we can we can uh, get all this in our our favorite film and TV show and I really cheated on this one, Tom. Um, and I actually picked um. I picked two shows that came out like years ago, uh, but I just, they were new to me this year. So I, I hope that kind of counts. Uh, no, I've, I've cheated on the films. I've got one film that came out this year and one that didn't, but I only saw it this year. So yeah, I mean, we can cheat as much as we like. It's only films and TV. Okay. Um, well, I guess, uh, I actually kind of, I forgot to pick a favorite film, but I will, um, on the spot, I'll say that the, um, uh, the, the latest Planet of the Apes I actually really, really liked, um, which is also mm -hmm. old. Uh, and that was, uh, was that War? Or Battle of the Planet of the Apes? Battle for the War for the, I can't Something even remember. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, the third one. Yeah. The third the one, one where they have really a war. great. Uh, and I'm a huge, uh, uh, fan of, of, uh, the Planet of the Apes book, uh, and all of the original movies, uh, with like Roddy McDowell. Uh, and I, uh, and I actually really think that the, the remakes are, are tremendously good. So I would, I would nominate, uh, the, the third, uh, in the, the franchise, uh, and this has got Woody Harrelson is in it. Um, and it's, uh, a really great performance, uh, by Andy Serkis as, uh, Caesar. He's, uh, awesome. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think they're, they're actually, they're really well done. They're great. They're not remakes. They're their own movies. Uh, and in an age where everything is a remake, I would say that that's like a big feather in their cap. 
And then, um, favorite. No, TV sure. Sh- as far as remakes go, I oh, think they're, they're, great. they're as good as they're as good, they're as good as remakes ever get. They take some of the same basic ideas in terms of well, whatever, whatever you want to identify the key ideas of that, you know, of the books and the earlier films as. They take that, but they update a huge amount. Mm-hmm. They felt absolutely no need to pay any lip service or fan service to the original films. Yeah. There isn't really any kind of, you know, all those usual callbacks and, oh, this is something you've seen before, so everyone applauds. You know, like, like I don't want to say it, but Star Wars is yeah, horribly totally. guilty of doing <laughs> yeah. that. Um, and, and I get it, that's what they paid $4 billion for the rights to do, but nonetheless, it's kind of like, <laughs> if, if, if that stuff was just the decoration, if that stuff was just the, you know, the little, the sprinkles on top of the muffin, I'd say, okay, fair enough, but so far, I haven't seen the most uh, the Last Jedi yet, but certainly uh, Rogue One and, and Force Awakens, that was the thrust of it. Yeah, that was the main content of the movie, um, and I just felt you've got to move away from that. You know, set it in the same universe, set it in the same story, but all of that stuff you just don't need anymore, or at least you just you know you just sprinkle it in a little bit here, a little bit there to keep people happy. And yeah, it was beautifully refreshing throughout that whole Planet of the Apes trilogy to see they basically just didn't care about that. They certainly didn't care about the Tim Burton version. No, no, thank God. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Um, Sorry, you were going to say favorite TV. Favorite TV show. Um, So I kind of picked two. Again, I cheated. And um, they are both old and they're both anime, but I couldn't help myself. (laughs) Um, And uh, uh, the first one is Welcome to the NHK, which I tried to get uh, Tom into, but uh, it didn't quite stick. But that's uh, an anime back from 2006, um, and it's uh, phenomenally good, in my opinion. Uh, and that is um, – it's basically about a guy who's a uh, hikikomori, who's like a – sort of like a weird social sickness in Japan uh, where people sort of lock themselves in their home and they don't go outside and they sort of shut off from the outside world. And a lot of this is due to his uh, bizarre obsession with conspiracy theories, and uh, the show is very much about how – isolation, conspiracy theories, uh, you know, the, the sort of like problems of, of, uh, becoming, you know, a real person integrated in the world can kind of have a real effect on people. And I, I, I say it, it, I would recommend it to a lot of people out there in the listening audience, uh, or people who know people that are kind of obsessive about those things, because you see how this affects this uh, young man and how it, messes up his relationships with the people around him and eventually he does sort of um you know uh conquer this whole fear but it's an amazing anime it's got probably my favorite theme song of uh of all time the theme uh, song is good yes yeah the theme song is great yeah um and it is now on uh, crunchyroll um so if uh you know if anyone out there if anyone out there really wants to watch it uh let me know and I can send you a, a free pass uh, I don't have that many left, but I could send a, a free pass and you could binge it for 48 hours. Um, but it is a, it's just a, a really, it's a, it's also a great anime in that it doesn't, you know, it's not about robots, um, or, uh, fantasy world. It doesn't have really a lot of the sort of like cliched stuff in anime. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, it really is like a human drama, psychological drama about a young man sort of struggles to find himself and also to sort of conquer these uh, demons and, and things. And, you know, he, he imagines that there is this conspiracy with 
uh, the NHK, which is like the national broadcaster of Japan, that they are, uh, they are responsible for, for keeping him, uh, as a hikikomori. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I love the show. A big fan of it. It was definitely my favorite show that I watched, um, of the year. And then briefly, I'll also just throw in another anime that's really good, Shinseke Yori, uh, which is, uh, totally kind of, uh, opposite direction. It is very, it's a speculative fiction. Um, but it's uh, definitely sort of epic in scope. Great animation, great ending uh, theme song. One of my favorite ending theme songs to an anime. Uh, and that is um, about uh, the, this, it takes place a thousand years in the future, and it's sort of about um, what happens to a society when psychic powers sort of become ubiquitous amongst everybody. And it's sort of about how, um, in their attempts to create utopian societies. Over and over again, they sort of fail. Um, and, and Shinsekayori means, uh, from the new world. Uh, and, uh, it's, so it's sort of about these people sort of trying to understand how their society kind of keeps falling into this cyclical pattern where there's massive destruction over and over again. And uh, it's definitely kind of out there and weird. And it's got, they, they, uh, genetically alter, uh, naked mole rats and they become a huge sort of factor in this world and they, they rise up. So both of those are great and definitely my favorite shows of the year. But I'll throw it to you, Tom, for, for maybe some slightly more, uh, down to earth television shows. Well, I mean, I did watch some of, uh, I don't know, the first five episodes or so of Welcome to the NHK. And to be fair, I stuck with it longer than I've stuck with a number of TV shows that I've tried to watch this year. Um, what was that new cowboy one I was watching last night? I literally lasted, I think, 17 minutes <laughs> and then gave up because it was just there was it was one of those where they just they're just building up tone and atmosphere and setting the scene. And OK, I get all that. But after 15 minutes, I actually need to know something about some of these people for me to care and to actually continue watching. And they just didn't seem to bother with that. So it, it stuck with me longer than some. Um <laughs> I think my main problem with it is that I'm, I mean, firstly, I'm not really an anime fan. And yeah. I found a bit of a problem with the anime stylings, mm-hmm. you know, the, the kind of weird tone that you get that I, um, I didn't know whether I'm, you know, am I supposed to be surprised? Am I supposed to be laughing at this? Is this supposed to be shocking? I couldn't quite figure out how I was supposed to be responding to this. And because it's not, it was a it's human not drama. not a beginner anime. That, no, 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 no. <laughs> And because it's a human drama and because it's like you say about this, this phenomenon of social isolation, you know, extreme social isolation and all the other themes that you talked about, because it's about that, I needed that kind of emotional connection and that kind of, okay, I understand what it is they're trying to get me to feel here in order to persist with it. And I think partly because it's anime and that's just something that doesn't quite chime right with me. Um, I just, I couldn't stick with it that long, yeah. but I see, I can see what you see in it. I can see why you like it so much. And if people are into anime, it's an interesting and bold experiment in that format. Um, it's doing something different to what most anime does. So yeah, I can recommend it even though I didn't particularly like it. Um, favorite TV of the year, <sighs> gotta be billions. To be honest. Yeah, actually, yeah, I should have, I should have put that down too. I, I nearly forgot it was so long ago. Well, I mean, that was that was this year, wasn't it? <laughs> it's I difficult so, to right? remember yeah. <laughs> the second the second season. Yeah, because um, that's one of the finest pieces of TV I've ever seen. Better than the first season, and I loved the first season. Um, I thought that was the best thing, best crafted, most engaging, 
most real world as well. Um, I enjoyed it even more than I enjoyed the third season of Fargo. And everyone knows how much I love Fargo because I'm always banging on about it. But yeah, I thought that was as, as close to perfect as television can get, really. And, and a profound and incredibly human story. Yes. It's all about very real people who are, if not all that likable, they're all very relatable. They're people that you can see how they ended up the way they did. Um, they're all portrayed quite sympathetically in some ways, despite being at moments quite despicable. And I think that's, it hasn't gone down that well in terms of getting big audiences, but critics seem to be seeing in it what we see in it. So yeah, that's probably my, my favorite piece of TV from the whole year. Certainly that came out this year anyway. No, no, I, I, I totally forgot. Yeah, I, I, I amend my, uh, my list and I'll include billions <laughs> on there as well. Uh, it did come out, yeah, cause we, we did a whole episode on it, right? Yeah, and that was in the summer sometime. I can't even yeah, remember. So. It's been, it's been one of those years, hasn't it? Where everything's yeah, happened so quickly. You're like, did that happen this year? Last yeah. year? Um, it's hard to remember anymore. I know, I know, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, definitely looking forward to the third season of, and yeah, I mean, I just echo everything you said. I think Billions is, is as perfect a TV show as you could ever get. Uh, and just, I mean, the, everything, the acting, the set design, um, the writing, uh, the direction, just the whole mood, uh, of it all is just so well done. Um, so yeah, I definitely applaud Billions. I'll also just throw in, uh, quickly American Vandal, if people haven't seen it, is, is also really good. Um, and that was one of the few things that, that was new this year that I, I just consumed in basically a day, uh, emailing you back and forth when we were Oh yeah, it's, it. 